Happy hump day to you. It is Wednesday out here in the American desert. My name is Mike. Welcome to the show. Let's talk. This episode is And He Said. So again, from the American desert, let's talk. I hope you're having a good week so far. Everything's going okay. Always remember, ain't no ain't no use in sweating and worrying about some silly little thing going to add up to nothing. There you go then. That's Tom Petty for you. So here we are, another show, another day. And, um, you know, I was reading um, reading about the trial of Jesus. And it got me thinking about, well, got me thinking. So I decided that that's going to be the, the, the main subject of the show. Of course, we'll have a few things before that, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Again, we'll get started with our prayer, and then we'll get started with the show. And he said, Dear Heavenly Father, our time here is limited. We only have the time that you give us, Lord. And I pray you this day that each and every one of us, Father, that call you by name and that you call us by name through your Son, Jesus, that we make each and every day count, Lord, that each and every day will be for your glory, your praise, your honor, that your word is heard, Father God, and that we can help to bring those that are in need of deliverance and repentance, and we can bring them to the cross. And I ask you, Father God, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Our first scripture today is going to be Luke 18, uh, verse 27, and it says this, And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Pretty plain cut and dry there that, you know, if we look to the world and we look to mankind to deliver us at certain times or to make things right for us at certain times, we're going to find that, well, that's just not how it works. So we got to remember that our faith and hope and everything of that nature is on the Word of God. So this isn't really, well, it's part of the show, but it's something that I was thinking about. Again, you know, always thinking, always reading my scriptures, always praying. And I thought I would I would put this here because um, it, it, it goes to the to the show later on. So if you don't mind here. So what I wrote was, when God began creating heaven and earth, well, we know that the earth was void and desolate. And it, scripture tells us that there was darkness on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved over the waters. So, again, this is a, a, a depiction um, of what the earth was like before God made it, you know, habitat, habit. I'm having troubles with that word. <laughs> Habitable. There we go. Quick and easy. So, and we understand and we know that it was a planet. It was here, but it was uninhabited. There was no light. There was no sun, just so forth and so on. And God decided out of all the places that he could have chose from, he chose this place, this earth. There aren't multiple earths where, you know, some religions believe we're going to reincarnate to and we're all going to play the role of Jesus in other worlds and so forth. None of that is real. None of it at all. 
what that does is it gives you a false sense of security that you don't really have to worry about being born again through the only the only name in heaven that through which man must be saved that's scripture and that name is Jesus so it 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 does away with that and that's unbiblical you know i mean the whole thing for me is why would you chance it on something that isn't founded on anything the truth i'm just saying so in genesis 1 we read and the earth was without form here we go right and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of god moved upon the face of the water so what i said was from genesis 1 so what we have is we have the unfolding or the revealing of the the absolutely most revolutionary as well as the most influential account of creation in the history of the human spirit. This is the absolute beginning, not of God, of course, because he's eternal, but of this world's existence as we, well, as it was in the beginning when God began creation. And what I find so profound and in certain terms, contrary to common sense, is how this frames creation. You see, it it does it from a vantage point, not of physics and cosmology, but rather through a phrase we hear repeatedly in the opening verses. And that is, and God said, let there be. And there was. You know, years ago when I studied for the for my pastoral license, we had to do a uh, a paper on what proves the Bible. So there were, I believe, four or five uh, subjects that we could choose from and use that as. Our, our starting point. I chose Noah's flood, and I, <laughs> I, fr- I framed it in the beginning of, the, of my paper to say, in the beginning was God, and I said, <laughs> in some way, I'm paraphrasing, you know, that because it says that, well, then we know that it's all true. Anything past that point, so to speak, you could say. In the beginning was God. Okay, then there's the proof. <laughs> That, you know, I had to write the whole paper. <clears throat> Not going to get away with that. So, but again, in the beginning was God, is God, okay? And God said, let there be, and there was. What's truly creative is not, again, science or technology per se, but rather, listen here, the word all right? The spoken word. That is what forms all being. It's the power and authority. The will. It's immediate and it's current. It's the word that is the unifier. It says in Proverbs 18.21, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. 
You see, certain rulers, I guess, you know, throughout history, and certain people not being rulers, but in, in their capacity, maybe at, at their job or as a parent or a husband, whatever the case may be, we speak a word or we speak, you know, words. And, well, it, hopefully it happens, right? In certain instances, it does happen. But sometimes it doesn't happen exactly or at all. You see, when God said, let there be, <laughs> it was exactly the way God said it was going to be. All right? And there's something, you know, I mean, we, we don't know what that something is or something, but it's my belief that there's something in the framing of the word that encapsulates all the power, authority, and the will, the righteousness and the holiness and the intent of the Lord God in the word, in the words, plural, that he spoke. All right? So there was no maybe or ifs. No, it was, <laughs> you know, as it says in the opening scripture, with God, all things are possible. So if we look also again, like we just looked at Psalm 18, look at Psalm 34. And it says this, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, listen, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. That's just a little something I thought I'd add in there. Because if we speak evil and, you know, in, in, of any sort, lies being one of them, then our life isn't really, you know, what it should be. Now, in time, in history, you go all the way back through history. There are ancient cultures who worship the gods because they saw them as powers. Powers such as lightning and thunder the rain, the sun, the sea, the ocean, okay? These are forces of chaos. And sometimes in that group would be wild animals because they represented danger and fear. So they weren't exactly chaos, but again, danger and fear. And these were worshipped. I mean, all throughout history, these, these, these objects, these so-called people or whatever you want to call them, they were, they were gods to these other pagan or, or um, I'm losing the word. Anyways, they were considered gods. And instead of worshiping the creator of these things, they worshiped these things. Now, God speaks against that. Always understand that God is more powerful than any pagan deity. Always remember that the lightning and the thunder, that the rain and the sun and the sea and the ocean and all the life and 
elements therein were all created by God. They did, they're just not happenstance, right? I mean, it's kind of like when you see lightning, you get thunder, right? So, you know, God spoke and it happened. You see? Right, boom, boom. All right? These things are not to be worshipped. These things are proof and evidence of God. And so, despite the fact that um, God is more powerful and so forth, and God has this power, we are not, as Christians, or those that believe in the one God, so forth and whatnot, we're not a religion that worships this power. No, 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 no. Christianity and Judaism, like many other religions, we have holy places. We have what we consider to be holy people, I guess. There are sacred times. There's consecrated rituals. But what is it that really makes Christianity and Judaism different and this is key, it's, it is supremely a religion of holy words, all right? Now, at the very beginning of creation, the doctrine of revelation is foretold. You see, God reveals himself. He shows us who he is and what he is and why and all these different things. He tells us this right from the beginning. He reveals himself to humanity, not in the sun or the stars, the wind or the storm, but through his words. These are sacred words. And they establish eternal covenant between heaven and earth. And, and, and the big thing here is the most awe-inspiring is that it reveals the relationship between God himself and creation. And in so doing, we see that in the beginning, before sin, we were kind of co-partners with God. God, you know, he walked in the garden. He, he interacted with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had no fear of the animals, and the animals had no fear of them. They didn't eat meat. They didn't, you know, there was nothing that they had to fear about each other as, you know, different creations. You see? And then when sin came, God also revealed himself and showed us how we were going to have to be a part of redemption. Not that we're the redeemers, but that we have an avenue back to God, reconciliation to the way things were in the beginning. <clears throat> let's look at, as I end that, let's look at Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
So this is really a scripture, or a verse here. You know, when your parents are around or author or an authority, you know, an adult sort of thing, or you always behave yourself. Well, you try to anyways, you know, be as good as you can and so forth and so on. But when they leave, is it a different story? So what what's being talked about here is that, you know, not only when I'm here, but when I'm absent. So, you know, when our parents aren't around or the authority figure, whoever or whatever that may be, how do we behave then? So it's so important, according to this scripture, that, you know, in the absence, so to speak, of the individual, that you still behave in a, in a calmly and, you know, rightful manner. Always remember that our actions are, and our words, the fruits, our fruits, are what people see and hear. And that's going to tell them or not whether you are truly repentant, a new believer, a new creation, a new man or woman in Jesus Christ or not. And that's the key. So, so much for that. I read some really good news today. And, you know, I don't mean to sound hateful, but so long, farewell. Lori Lightfoot, the first black woman and the first openly gay person ever to serve as mayor of Chicago on Tuesday became, yep, a one-term mayor. Goodbye, Lori. With nearly 99% of the precincts reporting, um, they reported that she finished third in Tuesday's election with 17, <laughs> a little over 17% of the vote. And she came in behind the former uh, Chicago Public Schools CEO and the Cook County Commissioner. So, and also a representative of the Chicago Teachers Union. So anyways, bottom line, she's not only the first openly gay and black mayor of Chicago, but she's the first Chicago mayor in 40 years to lose a re-election. See, sometimes coming in first isn't always so good. Anyway, I got the sweet smell of vindication. This is for everybody and anybody who, well, they've been saying this right from the start. And we've been pointing fingers, and we've been, you know, the evidence is clear. So, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, has confirmed the agency's conclusion that the COVID pandemic, now he uses the word probably, but that's called playing it safe. Anyways, the COVID pandemic was probably the result of a lab leak in Wuhan, China. China. Anyways, he reiterated his agency's initial findings from 2021, and he added that the Chinese government has allegedly worked to undermine the results that it did come from Wuhan. So in the FBI, we know, as for quite some time, they, they have been sitting on this. They don't want to release it when it should have been, but they're doing it now. Uh, so we'll see what happens. 
I think some of this is all part of the plan I said about earlier in a previous show that they're looking to tank Biden, but we'll see. So, again, leaked from a Chinese government lab? Yep. In Wuhan, China? Yep. Moving on. This isn't so good. The air, from what's being reported, the very air that these people are breathing in East Palestine is absolutely toxic. Now, this, despite an EPA ruling that um, the danger zone was, quote, safe. But the bad news is scientists have released a report showing higher than normal concentrations of nine potentially harmful chemicals. See, what happened was, I mean, we know about the train wreck and everything, when they did their, you know, their controlled uh, cleanup, you know, putting it on fire and whatever else. It was not controlled. It was not, right, the wife just said, it was not controlled. You can't control that. You know, when you set something loose, you know, it's like trying to control a nuclear bomb. No. You cannot control an open fire. Yeah. Incinerator, you have to take it to the incinerator where the pressure and the temperature are controlled and the air scrubbed. Right. So you get that? <laughs> That's controlled. That's controlled. So they just ignited this, you know, this whatever, chemicals, and they created something beyond any kind of control. So the experts from Texas A&M and the Carnegie Mellon University, they're the ones that have been conducting their own air quality tests using a mobile testing unit, uh, you know, in Ohio there in East Palestine. Now, see, <laughs> the but government will tell you, yeah, the government will tell you different, but these guys come in with at least the same, if not better equipment to do the testing. And guess what? They said that if the chemicals persist at the current levels, it this it would no doubt long-term health issues for the residents. I'm not surprised. This is... This is like the, the air and the water and on every other thing. Nope. Can the you grab my water off the bathroom sink there? The, the um, phosphogenes, when, when it's burned, when, when, uh. My wife is a chemist, so she's going to get in on this. When vinyl chloride is burned, it turns into, part of the, um, part of it is changed into a phosgene, which makes it stick to everything, especially water. There's air particles in water. There's air, there are water particles in air. And, you know, and then the streams themselves are very contaminated. Plus, it'll stick to buildings and people's skins no. and people's lungs. Kind of like napalm. Napalm stuck to everything. It, it was, was like napalm. a gel. Yeah. That's napalm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Phosgene. Okay. I didn't know that, so well, now phosgene, I know well, that. They, it's yeah. a type. It's a type. But anyway, phosgenes were used in World War One. So they, okay, World War One. Look back in your history books. I know you won't, so I'll just tell you. World War One, they used gas. That was the first time gas came into warfare. And this was absolutely horrendous. It was beyond belief, thank you, what this gas was able to do. Anyways, this is what they released. Now, <laughs> they're trying to play it safe by saying it's not necessarily an immediate health concern. 
Well, then what? It's going on right now, isn't it? Right as we talk, as I, you know, do this show right now. So <laughs> how can you say that? I, you know what? Propaganda, number one. There, just put it under the category of propaganda. Or I guess you could put it in the other file that says BS. Enough said. To, to. <laughs> My wife says put it under BS. So listen, those of us that grew up, well, when I did and whatnot, and you know what? I haven't seen one of these movies in years. And, you know, you watch it today and you go, wow, it's kind of like corny. But you know what? I think that (laughs) almost everything Hollywood does now is quote-unquote corny. But here's the thing. The horror film legend, Rikau Browning. Now, okay, who's he? Well... He played all the bad guys. But most probably recognizable was he starred as the Gill Man in The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Now, if you've never seen those movies, I mean, you know, again, the, you know, think of the times and whatever. But this guy was, you know, in my generation, everybody knew who the Creature from the Black Lagoon was. Or, you know, not the actor, but, you know, you get it? So anyways, he's passed away. 93 years old he was from natural causes. I mean, to tell you, (laughs) it's one of those things where I never knew the guy's name, didn't know anything about him, but I knew he was the, whoever it was, was the creature from the Black Lagoon. Anyways, thank you for those memories there, uh, Rico, and we appreciate it. Now, so the kid goes to the library. This is in Maine. And the uh, sixth grade student, 11 years old, goes to the library. What's he find? <laughs> Nothing short of a pornographic LGBT book that he found in the school library during, uh, well, uh, he, he brought it up during the school board meeting. And he reveals a librarian asks if he wanted a more graphic version. What? <laughs> you want me to email that to you? <laughs> Anyways. So this he, he read the passage describing a sex scene right there to the school board. And, he, you know, they're like looking at him, right? And he just nonchalantly says, well, I got it from the library, school library. Mm-hmm. Moving right along. Let's do a scripture, John 18, 20. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. And this is the name of the show. And he said, and he said nothing. Jesus always spoke in the synagogues, always spoke in the temples. He spoke other places, I mean, obviously, you know, the Beatitudes, as they call it, the Sermon on the Mount, he wasn't in the temple or the synagogue then. Just so you know, if you don't know the difference between the synagogue and the temple, after Israel's captivity in Babylon, they didn't have this before. Um, They had what they call the tabernacle. So essentially the tabernacle was a mobile tent-type setup. I mean, there were prerequisites to it, how it had to be set up in different colors and whatever else. 
of the materials used, but that's what housed the Ark of the Covenant. Now, up until the Babylonian captivity, um, that's how the Ark of the Covenant was handled. And so it was the central point of Israel's, or the Jewish people's religion. Well, not everybody could get to where the Ark of the Covenant was kept and so forth and so on. So one of the things that came about after the, the Babylonian captivity was this idea of synagogues. And what they were is um, they were local, I guess like your local church, right? You know, so they were local building or local at the, you know, the individual tribe was so forth and so on, the Jewish people, they were like the local church. And then, of course, the temple was in Jerusalem eventually. Uh, Solomon built it. King David got everything ready. Solomon built it. So that was in Jerusalem. So when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he went to the temple. And then when otherwise he was in different towns and so forth, and they had a synagogue, he would go to the synagogue. And again, as well as, you know, out in the open air. So this is starting to get into uh, what we're going to talk about here eventually. But I want to bring this up. Um, there's the Ministry of Truth. Remember that? Biden came out. <laughs> I call it the Ministry of Truth. The Ministry of Truth actually came from 1984. Uh, was a creation of uh, the author of the book, 1984, George Orwell. And it was a sign to deal with the dissemination of lies. Now, of course, you say potato, I say potato, you know, so who's telling the truth and who's lying? Well, you know, it depends, right? Well, not really. Earlier, I told you about the FBI's, you know, saying, yep, okay, it came from Wuhan and so forth and so on, and we've known it, and, you know, so it's all history now, right? Well, it's the same sort of thing. This group, this thing that Joe Biden wanted to put uh, across he wanted what was called the Disinformation Governance Board. So they were going to, you know, create that entity. Well, it didn't happen because, well, the people were smart enough and they went, oh, no, 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 no. You know, this is like right out of the Nuremberg laws and things from Nazi Germany. But listen, there's a specific plan being offered in Washington State that's nothing short of a state-level ministry of truth. Now, according to Liv Fine, Finn, she's um, over at the Washington Policy Center. She's a very, very smart individual lady. And so anyways, this new legislative proposal, according to her, would criminalize certain forms of expression based on what members of a state commission consider to be their definition of domestic extremism. You get that? Pretty much they're the thought police and action police. Okay. So, the, you know, creating a state level, again, you know, ministry of truth, according to her, would not only undermine democratic norms, but it would also have, well, you know, <laughs> a restricting effect on public debate, freedom of speech, Civic participation. Now, of course, it's in Washington State, uh, 
But, you know, this could be nothing less than the proving grounds for, you know, a more widespread, like this could finally make its way to D.C., right, and become, you know, federal law. Hang on, got to let the cat in. Hey, Grace, what are you doing? That's Grace kidding. So now she's in here. Give her five minutes. She'll be at the door wanting to get out. Was that mine, hun? What? Oh, she wants a treat, the wife says. Give me just a minute. What do you want? You want some treats? Is that what you want? Is it treat time? Ooh, look at all the treats mommy got for you. Isn't it funny how animals work? I mean, I guess sometimes we think, oh, they're just an animal or whatever. But she knows it's treat time. 7.41, time to get treats. <laughs> She's at the door. So anyways, so this is, this is not a good thing. It's already been approved, this pending plan, by a state house committee in Washington, like I said, and it, they're going to, according to what they want to do, create a 13-member commission to address incidents of, I, you know, sometimes even reporting these stories. I feel like I'm back in Nazi Germany. I kid you not. So they're going to do this commission that's going to, you know, address these so-called reports of domestic violent extremism. <laughs> I cannot emphasize enough that we all need to. What, Tina? Yeah, how come? She just made a good point. How come BLM never gets investigated? How come no investigations were done when Antifa and whatnot were burning down cities? And oh, nothing got done about that. But if I speak out against that, if I point my finger in one direction or another, I was actually just speaking to some people at the local store here um, yesterday, and we were talking about this very thing. You know, I have no right to say or do, but they have every right to break every law and not have any responsibility for it. This is not, <laughs> this is not how a democracy works. This is how... And people, there's a country and rodeo people who pray before they. <laughs> oh, you know, here's a okay. I'm glad my wife brought this up. And if I cry a little bit, I'm gonna cry because I'll tell you something. So, day before yesterday, we went Sunday, right? Sunday. So, years ago, when I lived here before, I never attended the rodeo. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal, like the Mardi Gras. I mean, the whole city and the surrounding areas. Hey, it's rodeo time. So they started off with this uh, kind of like, you know, uh, Thanksgiving time, they have the big Macy's Day parade and it kicks off the holiday season. So they have here the biggest and longest non-mechanized parade in the world. And what I mean by non-mechanized is there isn't a single car, truck, anything. 
It's all horses. All of it. Or, huh, Tina? Horses and feet. So people and horses, maybe some steers and cattle, you know, but nothing motorized. And then, of course, they have uh, the rodeo. So they have days of elimination and stuff. So we went Sunday, which was the final day. And even the wagons ha cannot have rubber tires showing. It has to be covered up. Yeah, no rubber tires, no. So it's it's as if you Anything went. has to do with the mechanism. Right, it's, it's as if you went back to the you know the old days, right when there were no cars or anything like that. So we went to the final day of the rodeo, which is when you're going to see all those who have well they've made it to the finals. So this is the cream of the crop, and one of them out of each you know competition is going to be the champion. So that. What's that? And win, the and win the buckle. That's a big deal. I'm telling you right now, that's a big deal. I have seen people in town and outside of town. They proudly display that buckle. They wear it. Oh, yeah, it's a big buckle, not a tiny buckle. People like me with a belly that hangs over, I'd have to have a lapel pin or something. <laughs> but anyways, they, you know, and they don't wear their shirt over. Oh, nay, nay. If nothing else, they'll have that shirt tucked in right there where that buckle is for everybody to see. Anyway, we went. One of the greatest things was, um, well, to start it off, um, I'd never, like I said, I'd never been before, and I finally had this opportunity. We bought the tickets months ago when they first became available. So that way, okay, spent the money, I got the time, we're going to go. So we went for the opening set. Now, where I where I live, people are, for the most part, <laughs> there's a few non-believers, you know, scattered here and there. But for the most part, people are very conservative, and they believe wholeheartedly in the Lord God and Jesus Christ as Savior, such as myself. Well. Needless to say, part of that has to do with their cowboys, and that's cowboys' lifestyle. Anyway, they had this ceremony in the beginning, I'm sure you can figure it out, where um, these, uh, all right, you got to get, I'm sorry, people, but she's exploring. Come on, get down. <laughs> so they have a, a flag ceremony where each flag is paraded out, a girl on horseback, and she's got the flag of the um, different branches of the service. And then it came time, the music changed, and it, it just, you know, then it came time, uh, the, uh, the uh, narrator, commentator, whatever, our host, says, you know, and let's not forget, I, th I think he said 30,000. 38,000 38, men and women who have not returned home. They're gone but not forgotten. And, of course, the POWMIA flag came up. And that really struck a chord with me because years ago when I was in the um, Marine Corps League, I um, served as the deputy director of POW MIA Affairs. It actually was a uh, what they call a no-show job. 
in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I didn't live there or go there, but I technically had an office, <laughs> supposedly, and letterhead and everything that came with the job. But And so I learned a whole lot about, unfortunately, those who have, you know, been left behind. And then, of course, out came the American flag, and uh, a, a young girl sang the national anthem. Twelve-year-old girl. And every single person stood up and either stood still, or put their hand on their heart or their, with their hat or not. And, their hat off yep. Nobody had to be told to take their hat off. They knew exactly. And everybody sang. Yep. Oh, that's right. The commentator said this prayer, I mean to tell you, <laughs> uh, blew me away. So, went to the rodeo, had that great and wonderful experience, and the best part of it, again, was, you know, everybody was on the same page, you know, patriotic Christian people. And at one point in time in the events, um, all the veterans were asked to stand and be recognized. And I can't even, yeah. Again, standing ovation, applaud, applaud, you know, didn't seem like it was going to end, but, you know, it was one of the greatest, uh, you know, times I had, not just because I saw a rodeo, which was really cool, but because I was in a place where we were, like, again, we were, we, you know, our hearts, our minds, everything about us was on the same page. It was great. So moving along, First John 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because, this is Jesus speaking, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So even then, you know, well, it's been since the beginning, right? In Leviticus 19, we read this. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards, or be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. We, I mean, it couldn't be any plainer, it, well, for me anyways, but I mean, listen to this. He's talking about people that do Ouija boards. He's talking about people that go to these psychic places, all that kind of stuff. You're being defiled. And, you know, if you go to some place like that or you partake in that astrology, you know, what's, what's my sign and all this kind of stuff, and you call yourself a Christian, oh, nay, nay. Oh, nay, nay. I'm sorry. No. Hang on. Cat wants out. Hang on, Grace. Come on, Grace. There you go. So, I'm sorry again. Uh, so, anyway, 
getting to the the brunt of the show here. You know, watching what I saw at the rodeo and just knowing what who I am and what I am in regards to my patriotism and so forth. Um, you know, and it, it my patriotism probably is influenced by the fact that, or probably not probably, it is influenced by the fact that I was a Marine. But I'll tell you something, a lot of people at that rodeo had no military experience whatsoever. Not everybody stood when they said, you know, if you're a veteran or currently serving, stand and be recognized. So that just shows you right there. You don't have to be a veteran or currently serving to be patriotic. So there's that. Just thought I'd bring that up. So what we're becoming, though, I think, as Christians, is we're becoming a part of history. It's become terribly evident that we're no longer the majority. That is plain and clear. At least I don't think so because, well, the way things are, you see conservative Christians nowadays, <laughs> more and more were looked upon as someone or something from a bygone era, kind of like that rodeo parade, you know? For all intents and purposes, you went back in time. We're not quite a relic, not yet. But we're definitely not a modern times, according to, well, the world. So what's come to the forefront? What's replaced us, I guess? And is it anything new? I'm not talking about a new age type thing, although it's part of it. But because this has a greater influence than the New Age movement did. This has a more profound effect on the hearts and minds of people, children included. And even though it's a replacement and it's something that I guess you could say wasn't there before, Bottom line is, it's really a friendly old acquaintance. You see, I'm talking about a very powerful, powerful, powerful force. One that has been allowed by God himself. Although it opposes God, and God will in the end destroy it, this is the religious spirit of unbelief. This is the religious spirit that's driving these so-called believers. You see, listen, the day is coming, and I, I shouldn't even say coming. The day is here when those who are under the influence of this religious spirit they're going to come against those of us who are truly filled and led by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, as I've said so many times on this show, you know, may the Heavenly Father protect us as his children in the time of this increasing darkness arising on the globe. And I'm not saying, and I think i got to be clear, by asking protection, 
that we don't suffer. I always thought that was kind of like, what are you kidding? Please don't let us suffer this, that, and the other thing. What, what? You're different than, you know, Jesus Christ himself. Please stop. Please stop. All right? Jesus says in Matthew, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Do you understand that? Is that plain enough? He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. This is in the verse that in Matthew 10, 34 through 39, where Jesus says about not bringing peace to the world, bringing father against son, different, you know, that sort of thing. It's a very powerful, powerful, powerful verse. Jesus just completely sets the record straight. He goes on in verses 21 through 22, chapter 10, actually. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will, not maybe, you will be hated by all because of my name. But, listen now. It is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. So again, we pray for protection and so forth, and you know, but don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. So this new religious spirit, I've I've encountered it, I've I've met it, and I will tell you, I have said for years, decades. The most probably evil in in so many regards, spirit you will ever encounter is a religious one, hands down. And I mean to tell you, I have had several, well, more than several experiences with them. They're people just like you and me, right? I mean, you know, but you have to understand that the driving force behind them is this evil spirit. And you can't reason with it. Just like you can't reason with these people. (laughs) Well, I'm going to get it for this one. You can't reason with these Democrats, these liberals, daggone libtards, these Bidenites, Obamanites. You can't reason with them. You can't reason with a person or group in this regard, that has this religious spirit. Not going to happen. You you can't reason with them. You can evangelize them, but you're not going to be able to reason with them. All right? So it's kind even though you evangelize them, there's a different way you have to go about it. And you'll learn it. If that's your calling to to deal with these. Because I wouldn't suggest it. I wouldn't say, run out there and do this. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> have fun, you know, and learn because you're going to have to know it. Anyways, you know, they're under the influence of this demonic entity. And uh, again, so powerful. 
What we must do, if nothing else, so you don't encounter, you don't go out and, you know, do with these people, you got to always remember your pray. Pray, 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 pray. In the name of Jesus, pray, 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 pray. You see, we're praying for the light to come down, you know, the Holy Spirit to reveal the lies and the deceit of this demonic spirit. And it literally permeates. I'm Listen, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. It literally permeates all, A-L-L, all, not some, not a few, not even many, all branches of the Christian church. And I'm going to stick one at the top. <laughs> the Catholic Church especially. This is why, listen, this is why we see such depravity in the world today, because we're not the majority anymore. And that's the church's fault. I'm not pointing my finger at any politician in this regard, not at all. Because as true believers in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and God his Father as the only God, we have the power and authority to make a difference. Because with God, remember the opening scripture? With God, all things are possible. This is why, this is why, for the majority of profession Christians, they're not truly believers because this is why. This is how we know. They're not followers of Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus, the Jewish Jesus. Some other Jesus, yeah, you betcha. You, <laughs> you betcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever see that movie Fargo? Yeah, yeah, Fargo. You got to see it. Anyway, what's that, hon? You betcha, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> All right, that's enough. Anyway, <laughs> oh man. So, anyways, I learned many years ago. And it was verified and bona fide so many times. So here's what I have to say. I learned many years ago that at that time, there was a concerted effort, a true, truly demonic push to have at least, at least, a handful of witches or sub uh, subversives in every single church, regardless of its theology or anything like that. I'm here to tell you, the doctrines of demons, that's biblical, have taken over and the masses of people, I almost cry to say this, 
are flocking to these ear-tickling buildings on Sunday to receive the happy meal of God. This happy, feel-good word. I can't emphasize enough if that's the kind of church you go to. If your church is not out evangelizing, if you're not out evangelizing, used to call it door knocking, used to do it on Saturdays, that's what I remember, then you need to find another church or, okay, you know what, by yourself. In Luke 12, Jesus says this, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. Listen now. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus said that. Luke 12, 11 through 12. So, you know, bring you before the synagogues. Obviously, you could put the word church there. But the point is, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Or you may find yourself in front of just a few people or one person. Always remember, you're not standing there by yourself. Now, I was reading... I was reading. We have, uh, I know I'm a little early on this, but we have Easter coming up, what, another month? Sunday, April 9th. And then Passover also, which is the evening of Wednesday, April 5th to the evening of Thursday, April 13th. Now, Passover is several days, where Easter is just one day. It's interesting, but I think if I remember right, based on something I learned years ago, you know, history repeats itself, as they say, and the calendar repeats itself every so many years. I think this might actually be the year where it's the exact same days as it was for Passover, as it was... Um, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So anyways, that being said, you know, I was thinking based on all this stuff I talk about, you know, illegal trials and tribunals and whatever else you want to call them, and I was reading in the book of Luke, about the trial of Jesus. And I know a whole lot more about the trial of Jesus than the Bible tells us. It, it, the Bible's really kind of scant on a lot of issues, I think, personally, that it should not be. It should be telling you more about, well, about the legality and so forth of his trial. And so I thought I would do a sh this show, this, you know, um, and explain to you um, what I mean by the legalities or whatnot of his trial 
And unfortunately, I guess I yacked for too long about different things and so forth and so on, and I'm not going to run the show more than an hour. I've gone from a half hour to an hour, and I appreciate, you know, that you haven't complained. I hope you're enjoying the shows. But again, I'm I'm not going to go longer than an hour if I don't have to, and I don't have to because I can let this be Friday's show when we're going to talk about the trial of Jesus. And really what it, like I said, all these different nuances and the different reasons why on all sides of why it was illegal. All right? And who was involved and why, right? And their place in it. Not just what the Bible tells us, but what history tells us. You see, there's different aspects. Oh, Grace, you're a silly kitty. There's different aspects and different reasons why and and whatnot in this trial that make a big difference. And yet it occurred anyways. And, you know, of course, the bottom line is it was going to happen regardless. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed the prayer to the Father where he literally sweat as droplets of blood because of his anguish over what was getting ready to happen. He knew exactly what was going to happen. This was not hidden from him. Okay, he knew this. You know the old saying, you knew this or you knew when you got into it. He knew this. When he came to this earth, he knew this end. And he went towards it. He moved forward. He didn't put it off. He didn't, you know, consternation and all this, you know, because he was he was grief-stricken by it. You know, in his prayer to the Father, you, you hear that. You know that. But he went forward because for the glory of what not only awaited him, which was the return to the Father on the throne forever, but what it meant for us, the creation, what it meant for those of us whom he loved so much that he gave up glory so that he could be totally, totally, totally beaten and scourged and so forth. I mean, you should look it up. But he did it in order to suffer that, in order to reconcile us back to himself and the Father. That, my friends, is the reason, as they say, for the season. Not for gifts, not for Easter eggs, not for anything. So in other words, I'm talking about Christmas and Easter here. He was the Passover lamb. He was brought before the council. He was examined, and he was rejected. Now, that's part of the process of the Passover lamb. The Jews, as a nation, would receive a lamb, and that lamb was gone over with a fine-tooth comb 
to make sure there were no blemishes, no defects, no anything, before it was sacrificed for the sins of the nation. That was Passover. Now, or before it was sacrificed, period. I'm sorry. Anyways, Jesus was looked over, examined, questioned, and every other thing, and they rejected the Lamb of God. So that's going to be our next show, The Trial of Jesus. And I, I hope you'll be here, or you'll hope you get a chance to hear it. I'll do the best I can. I always try. And I just want to say thank you again, and don't forget the sacrifice and the real reason. God bless everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.